welcome you here today to Vertical. I'm glad you've chosen this to be part of your Christmas worship today. And it is good to be together as family and church family at times like this. And man, what a year. It's good to take a moment, take a breath, and to worship and to find hope. Uh, if you're like me, it's, it's been a year, right? And it's been a year of trying to process, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And I'm sure the shepherds, the wise men, Mary and Joseph, all asked some similar questions, as did the people of Israel. God, where are you? God, what is going on? And to them, God brought hope, and he does for us as well. You know, as you look at the Christmas story, there's so many great parts to it. And over the years, we have told the story to our children and now our grandchildren. And I'm always looking for the, the fresh word, the new part that I want to pull out and draw upon and say, okay, God, what's, what do you have for us this year? What's, what's special for me, for Heather and I, for our family? So I do the same this evening. As we look at the Christmas story, I start to ask myself, okay, God, what is the What's the heart of this story? What's the best part? What's the greatest part? And there's so many parts to the story. Uh, I've thought about a lot of them. You could, you could say, well, man, the Christmas story, one of the greatest parts has to be that God chose a young virgin to be the one who would bring forth his son. A young woman who was unpopular, a young woman who didn't have a lot of wealth, a young woman who didn't have a lot of social stature, a woman who wasn't from great royalty, and God chose a simple young girl. He chose her, and she would become great because of what God would do in her and through her. And I think, wow, that's so much like what the gospel is. God doesn't choose us because we're popular, because we're cool, because we're wealthy, because we're smart, because we have social clout. That's not why he chooses us. He chooses us because he sets his sight upon us. He chooses to give us his grace, chooses to display his favor to us. You think, surely that's one of the greatest parts of the Christmas story, that God chose Mary. No, it's a great part, but I don't know that that's the greatest part. Think, well, surely then it's this revelation of, of the angel and angels to the shepherds. Here were some men doing their thing that they'd always done. They were simple men. They too weren't popular or wealthy. They're simple men out doing their thing, and God shows up in the darkness one night and announces to them that a king has been born, that a savior has come. The promised one has been born in Bethlehem and they leave what they are doing to go see the king. They leave their role as shepherds to go and see this one. And as they go, they tell everyone what the angel has announced to them. A Savior has been born. And when they arrive at the place where Mary and Joseph and the baby are, they begin to tell Mary and Joseph everything that the angel had told them. And they worship this king. I'm struck by the fact that here are men worshiping a baby. Worshiping a promise that's still in its infancy. Have you ever had a promise come to you that's still in its infancy? 
but yet you choose to worship God even though it hasn't been fully developed yet? Yeah, here they are doing that. Surely you think, man, that's, that's such a great part of the Christmas story. They're worshiping even though they've yet to see him grow, even though they've yet to hear him teach, even though they've yet to see him give his life, even though they've yet to see the crucifixion and the resurrection, even though they've yet to see him ascend back into heaven, they're still worshiping. Surely this is a beautiful and maybe the greatest part of the Christmas story. No, it's great, but I think there's some that are greater. I think, well, okay, maybe it's the fact that God chose Bethlehem, this little city that the Old Testament prophet Micah would say is the least among all the cities. That is the least. And God would choose this place, Bethlehem, that had been known for pain and suffering in the past, that had been known as a place where a great saint had died, had been known as a place of darkness, and yet here God was going to redeem the name Bethlehem by having the Savior born there. God was going to choose this little town, this little place of insignificance, so that everybody would know God does not choose in the same way the world does. God chooses by his own standards. And sometimes, if not all the time, he chooses the least to confound the wise. And here God redeems the name Bethlehem so that when you and I hear it today, we instantly think of Jesus being born there. And you think, wow. That's got to be one of the most beautiful parts of the Christmas story. God redeems. God makes all things new. And he did so with Bethlehem. As great as that is, I don't think that's the greatest part of the Christmas story. You say, well, surely it's the fact that here at this time in history, God is sending a savior, a redeemer, a king after what had been 400 years of silence. You see, the last time God had revealed himself through someone would have been Malachi in the Old Testament. And for you and I, we turn the page from the Old Testament, all of a sudden we're in the New Testament. For those saints, it was 400 years in that gap. Can you imagine 400 years going by and there's no new revelation from God? There's no new word. There's nothing fresh that has come. There's the promises of the past and the faith for the future. But into this time of silence, into the time when the nation of Israel has been without righteousness, at a time when the government had become corrupt, at a time when the people who were people of faith had all of a sudden become outwardly righteous but inwardly dark at this time into great darkness God sent his son to be born after such a long period of time of silence surely that's got to be one of the greatest parts where God keeps his promise where God answers what he said he was going to do and faith becomes sight in that moment as great as that is that's still not one of the greatest parts of the Christmas story you think well Maybe the greatest part then has to do that prophecy was fulfilled in such an unusual way that here God would send his son and he would be born just like you and I are born. That he would come as a baby. He didn't come as a man, a king. He didn't come riding in from heaven. He wasn't an angel. He came as a baby. 
born like you and I, wrapped in human flesh. And the Bible says he tabernacled, he lived amongst us, wrapped in flesh, just like you and I. And he would feel what you and I feel. It wasn't because he needed to know what that was like. He knew already what that was like. But he would do that so that you and I would know that he knows. That there would be a Savior in heaven who feels what you feel. Who knows what it's like to be tempted, to be tired, to be weary, to be discouraged, to not have all the answers available to you in a moment. And here comes a Savior. Here comes heaven born like us. You think, surely this, this has to be one of the greatest parts of the Christmas story because in doing so, he would become a sacrifice for us. He would be like us. He would take our place. He would be the one who would give himself on a cross as payment for our sins. Surely the fact that God is wrapped in human flesh like us, surely that's one of the greatest parts of the Christmas story. It's a great part. I'm not sure it's the greatest part. The greatest part, as I look at the Christmas story, is found in a single verse from the Gospel of Luke. Luke 2 tells the story of Christmas. And in verse 11, I think we find what is the greatest part of the Christmas story. There it says, from the angel... For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What's the greatest part of the Christmas story? I think it's the fact that the gospel comes to us, a Savior comes to us, the story comes to us, and it is immensely and intentionally personal. This verse says, for there is born to you. This is not just a religious story. This is not just a set of doctrinal facts. This is a living story about a real Savior who was born for a very specific purpose. And the angel said, it was to you. Now, the angel said that to the shepherds, but Scripture records it for us. So from this moment forward, I hope you realize that what we are talking about today is not just some story from a textbook. It's not just from some story from a religious book. It's not just a church thing that we do. It is a very powerful, intentional moment that God has designed for you. So let's just make it real personal. Let's take it all the way home as God intended it to be done. You see, a Savior was born not just for the idea of sin in the world, not just for sin in general, but specifically intentionally, a Savior was born for your sin. Now just forget about that person sitting next to you for just a moment. You might be aware of their sins, but I want you to really focus on what God has for you. 
A Savior was born for your sins. The very specific things that you have struggled with, failed at, fallen in, the things that you still are often tempted by, the areas that you still fail, those, yours, your unique ones, not the person next to you, not your spouse, not your mom, not your dad, not your kid, not your neighbor, not the government right now in this moment, you. A Savior was born to free you and me from our sins. A Savior was born for not just guilt as a concept, guilt as an idea, guilt as something that maybe churches like to talk about. No, I'm talking about the very real guilt that you carry around for your sin, your past, that weight that you feel, that sense of distance that separates you from God, that moment that just weighs you down, that thing that you did that you still carry the offense of in your heart, that thing that you haven't been able to get past in your heart, and it won't let you sleep at night, it won't let you rest in the day, and you can't get it out of your head, that thing right there, that, that guilt, that weight, that is what Jesus came for to you. A Savior was born. He came to free you, to be a king, that you might have peace. I'm not talking about peace in general. I'm not talking about peace as some religious concept. I'm talking about peace in your heart so that you can lay your head down on your pillow at night without fear of what would happen were the Lord to call you home in that night. What would happen about all your past sins? What would happen about what separates you now? God sent his son to redeem, to rescue, to pay the price so that you, by faith, can say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for my sin. I receive you and I'll follow you. And that in that moment, peace would flood your soul, your soul, for you. And that you might walk in purpose in your life. I'm not talking about just having a Sunday purpose, becoming more religious than you were. No, I'm talking about a Savior came and died and was resurrected so that you could be free from your sin. You could be free from your guilt. You could have peace, and you could know the passion of God alive in you. God moving in you. God working on behalf of you. God arranging the events of your life for you, for his glory. This is what he sent a Savior for. This is where the Christmas story becomes very, very personal. So as Jesus grew, as Jesus walked and carried out what his father had called him to do, as Jesus was rejected by men, as Jesus was despised by men, as many wanted to see him come to an end, they arrested him. They beat him. And he would become a sacrifice for us. And before he was arrested on that night, he provided a way 
so that this verse to you would become a living reality so that you would have a way of remembering, yes, this is personal. This is not just religious. This is real. This is not just once a year. This is permanent. This is not just some service. This is a living experience. The Bible tells us it was for that reason that Jesus began something with the disciples. On the night that he would be arrested, he had a meal with them. And as part of that meal, he would take a cup and he would take some bread and he would institute what you and I now know of as communion. This experience of common union. This experience of taking in who he is. This experience that says, yes, this gospel, this Jesus did this for me. Here's what the scripture says that Jesus said that night. It says, and as they were eating that Jesus took bread, he blessed and broke it. Symbolic of his body being broken for you and me. And he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, as you came in this evening, you received a little cup, a little plastic cup. I want you to find that. I don't want you to open it yet, but we are about to take part in this experience that Jesus instituted. So I want you to have that close because this is not all that Jesus said to his disciples. It goes on and it tells us that then he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus was saying, I have come for you. In obedience to what God has called me to, I am coming so that some people who are sitting in a church in Ovilla on December 24th, 2020, and who are considering their life and all that's happened up to this point and who they are before God and what it means now to know Him, what it means to be a Christian in 2020. And with all that's in the past and with all that's yet to come in the future, Jesus said, I have done this for you. So I want you to take that cup and turn it to where the bread side is up. The juice is on the bottom. And go ahead and peel that piece off to reveal the bread. And I want you to take it out. I don't want you to eat it yet. I just want you to hold it in your hands. Because this, this bread, this bread, Jesus says, signifies his body broken for you. This is the connection between heaven and you. This is your reminder that Jesus came for you. This is your reminder that though he was without sin, he laid down his life for your sin. There on the cross, he took your sin. 
your guilt, your shame, all the fear that is associated with your past and your failures. He took it upon himself and he bore the full weight of it. He was broken for you. It became personal so that you and I can have this moment, so that you and I can know my sin has been paid for, my sin has been removed. And for me, as a follower in Jesus Christ, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. The debt is paid. So with this bread in your hand, I want to pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your, your son to be a savior, that his body was broken for us, that while we were yet sinners, our Lord Jesus died for us. He died so that we might not have to carry the guilt, the weight, the fear, the anxiety, the uncertainty, but that we might know our sin has been paid for. So we thank you for the precious body broken for us. We pray in the name of our Savior. Amen. Jesus told his disciples, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Now, if you'll also take your cup, remove the label from the juice side. Jesus also told the disciples to take the cup. And he said something different about this cup. He said, this is the cup of a new covenant. This is a new arrangement. From this point forward, it will not be about having to keep the law. It will not be about sacrifices being offered. It will not be about lambs being offered on an altar. This will begin a brand new covenant because Jesus said, this cup is my blood. This will fulfill what John the Baptist said the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus instituted a new relationship, a new covenant, so that you and I, by faith, can know we have been made one with the Father by faith. Such hope, such comfort, such peace, such assurance that I don't have to fear my tomorrow because I know who holds me. I know who I belong to. I know who lives in me because of a new covenant shed for you. This becomes very, very personal. Jesus intended it. His blood represented in this juice taken into us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that while our sins were as scarlet, the promise of a sacrifice to come would be that our heart can be made white and clean and pure. I thank you that while we could find no way to pay for our sin, to be good enough, to pay it off, to somehow reconcile the account ourselves, you sent your son 
and you establish a new way, a new and living way, so that all who would come through Jesus would know the peace, the covenant, the permanence of knowing you. So we thank you for the blood shed for us. We thank you for new relationship, a new covenant by the blood of our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, take a drink. This is my blood offered for you in this new covenant. Now the Bible says that when the disciples had finished this experience that he had with them, very personal, just them and him, on this night before his arrest. It says that they got up from their meal and they went out and they were singing a song. Now, I wonder if they would have sung, if they would have known what was ahead. The great news is they sang out of joy for what had happened and it would keep them through what was ahead. For you and I, we have hope. I don't know what awaits our world for the remainder of this year or for 2021, but I know who holds me. I know who is in me. And this intensely personal gospel gives me hope because what he has begun, I know he will always complete. And I know he is working all things together for our good and his glory. So I trust in that, regardless of what happens next. And this gives us hope. So the Bible tells us that, that Jesus is that kind of hope to us and that he has now given us this hope. Here's what it says about this light and hope about Jesus. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Into a world today that is dark, into a world today that is filled with uncertainty about what is going to happen next, into a world today that is consumed with its own selfishness and its anger and its guilt, we have become ones who know the light of the world but we have also been given that light. We now have within us the light of life. And the gospel calls us to share that light, to be ones who tell others what he has done for us, to live out what he has done in us. Here at Vertical, we say to lift him up and to live him out to live out this light. You should have received a candle when you came in tonight. I want us to share the light that he has given us. I want us to share it with one another. And what we see here, may it be a picture of what he calls us to there. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that while our hearts were dark, you shined your light of hope within us. I thank you that you still do that today to those who are facing uncertainty in their life, to those who are filled with anxiety. 
you offer hope. And I pray that now as we, as now guardians and those entrusted with that light, that we will share that light with one another and with the world that lies in darkness today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the light comes to you, if you'll share it with one near you.